Thank you. Amen. Morning, friend. Morning. Good to be here this morning, and and I think I'm in. I, I am an intruder on Brother Neville's time, sitting back there with his getting his text together, and I walked in. He started folding up his text and said, "Well, it reminds me of years ago. There used to be a colored brother down here named Brother Smith, Sister Cross. They were very good friends of mine." And when I walk into the building at night, the old fellow, he, he had a white mustache. Don't know whether any of you remember him or not. And um, he would be on a platform, you know, and all of them would be singing, It's a Highway to Heaven. And Brother Smith would be just set like this, you know. And I walk in the back door, there's a little girl, kind of real dark. She sat in the corner, she started clapping her hands, saying, Lift him up. That song, you know, they put their own melody to it, you know. And then over next corner, be somebody else, Come in again, lift him up. Well, that's what I did sing when I come in the door. I just love that bunch of people. And so old Brother Smith sat back there a little bit, you know, and he's kind of a quiet sort of fella. He'd say, come in, Elder, rest your hat. <laughs> rest yourself, rest your hat. <laughs> come in, Elder, rest your hat. And he'd get up there, and I'd tell him where he started off. I was in for it. He'd say, well, as he says, children, you know, as he said, I... I was sitting here just wondering, Lord, what you going to give me to say? He, he, he kept his head, shaking his head at me. I ain't going to give you nothing to say. He said, I seen Elder Brand walk in like that. I said, now, Lord, I just begin to remember. <laughs> well, I was right in for it. Brother George Wright, how are you? Oh, good. Bless you, Brother Wright. Uh, Brother Lodge, he's back there. Oh, is that right? Brother Lodge Perry, he says, back here. Where you at, Brother Elijah? I haven't seen him in a long while. Now we ought to uh, have a real meeting here. <laughs> Elijah Perry, George Wright, and some of them old timers that used to be here when they'd almost have to hold the shutters on the place with their hands, the wind blowing. Good seeing you. Mother, Sister Wright with you. Sister Wright in? Back there, too. That's her. Well, uh, Sister Perry, I see him all now. Well, that's really fine. Good to be in. It's good to set these places. It's good to be together. I planned on so hard coming back, burden in the heart. Uh, I just returned from Africa, as you all know. And uh, when I got over there, I had a restricted visa and wouldn't let me, wouldn't let me preach. Because it gathers too many together. They're expecting an uprise there at any time. And, and they, they wouldn't let me preach because of that gathering too many people together. The only way I could would have some organization that's represented by the government, in the government, to invite me over, then that would automatically let the government send out a militia for protection. See, there just, there's just going to be an uprise, and that's all there is to it. It's just right in hand. He, that government man said the last time he's here, you had about a quarter of a million people together. And he said, then you see, that just be the very thing that communism is looking for, for an uprise. So I couldn't preach. And those people stand there waving their hands and crying. Remember my mother, remember my brothers, I, my, there and in behind a bar, you know, bars of wire, and it just makes you feel real bad. And I come back home, and I thought, well, my son Joseph back there had let down a little bit in his reading, and he had, uh, he passed all right, but he had to take it over. He wasn't reading good enough, so I thought, well... We're going to have to stay home a little while, and I said, if we stay home, it's going to ruin the kids' vacation, so we just postponed it and take him over to another part in August and let and come back here for a couple, three weeks. Amen. I said, I believe while we're back there, I'll just take and 
hold a meeting. We get that school auditorium up here, and, and we'll have a meeting from the 28th on through to the 1st, a meeting at the school auditorium. I want to preach on the subject of the outpouring of them seven last vials. And um, so we called ahead, and we had a little disappointment. They won't let us have these schools no more. Too many people crowds in. We can't have it nowhere. And um, so then I decided while I was back here then, and instead of, we can't put all the people, if we'd ever, it's never been advertised now. So if we put all the people, try to put them in the tabernacle here, we couldn't do it, see. It just, five days in here would be awful. So sitting in there talking with Brother Neville and Brother Woods and them, we have decided to do this. If we can't, uh, instead of that, make us have five services. That'd be 28th, 29th, 30th, 31st, and 1st. feel if we have, beginning next Sunday, we can have two services, Sunday morning, Sunday night, that's the 18th. And then on the, on the 25th, have Sunday morning, Sunday night, that's four services. Then on August the 1st, have a Sunday morning, Sunday night, that give us six services, and then it won't make such a jam to get the people in. And I uh, think that, don't you think that'd be better than having everybody just crowded and mashed together and everything? They, uh, just that for them, two services, we can put up with that, but... Uh, everybody kind of pulled together uh, for a five night straight it would make it hard and I want to get with the trustees and the elders here while I'm here this is becoming everywhere we're living in these last days that where the gospel does not have the, the premises that it should have don't have the rights that it should have it's all sewed up in politics and things and it's like a union and that's what it's finally coming to because the mark of the beast has to come by union, we know. So we, we, because it's a boycott, no man can buy or sell to save him and have the mark of the beast. And now, uh, I want to find out through the elders a feel led. I've never had such a hunger in my heart for God in all my life, and I, and I have now. See? For, and I, I want to get my own tent. And my, my stuff, like uh, the Lord gave me a vision to it, and I believe the time is just now at hand. And I want to see while I'm here, why we can't get the tent. And, and then when we go, like, come here to Jeffersonville, still having just a day or two or three or four days, we can go out here and put up this tent and have two or three weeks, you see. Just uh, nobody say nothing about it. We either take a ballpark or if they won't let us have that, this farmer out here, let's have a Amen. farm. We'll rent the farm and, and put up the only thing we just have to do there be make our, our outbuildings and so forth and uh, for our conveniences and that could be easily done and then we start uh, having our services like that because that's according to a vision from the law is to be done that way and coming in yesterday and finding you know this that is going up the street and a good friend of mine going along there said, hello, Billy. I looked at him. Snow white hair. That much tummy. And the boy's my age. We ran around got a handsome young fella. When I was a kid, uh, it kind of made me feel funny. My little son, Joseph, said, why are you sad, Daddy? Oh, I said, I can't explain it to you, Joseph. See, I can't, can't tell you. And... I look at Lige Perry sitting back there. Mrs. Perry, it seemed like yesterday they were a little black-headed couple out there living next door to me when we had the old boat Wahoo and down on the river and fished at night. See them both white-headed. 
You know, it says one thing. It's a little buzzer that comes on. You ain't got much more time. <laughs> so, I want every day of my life to count for Him. What I have left, what time I have, I want to spend it somewhere doing something that's no more standing on a street corner, testifying to the glory and honor of God. And uh, I'm here for that purpose. Now, I've got a little secret place up here, Greensville, Indiana. It's not a city now, it's a, it's a wilderness. And some people take it over and they won't even let you set a foot on it. But I got a cave there that he'd never find me when I got into it. I go in at nighttime and he'll never want to go in or come out. And he don't know where the cave is and couldn't get to it and no matter where it was. And I want to go over and talk to the Lord a while. Amen. I feel it is a necessity. The wife, she wants to come, want to come back and visit around Rebecca and Sarah and them with their friends. And we're back here now for next three weeks. And if the Lord willing. And I think instead of trying to jam the people all together for them meetings here in the tabernacle, of course, this belongs to us. Belongs to the Lord. Give it to us. It's air conditioned. But I have to have a Sunday morning service, a Sunday night service. That lets people go back to their place and wait over for the next coming week. I don't think I could take and, and officially do justice to the pouring out of those last vials because they're very, very uh, great message in that. But I could pray for the sick and do things that uh, have messages to the, as the Lord will give them to me, or the church through the week. I'll get out here in the wilderness somewhere and study, come back on Sunday morning, have a Sunday morning service like this and a Sunday night service. Our most gracious little pastor, Brother Neville, I asked him if that would be satisfaction to him. I'd taken all of his services away from him, but he was more than glad to surrender it to, to, uh, over to that. I just, Brother Caps, he, I guess, got the Roman fever too, and I see he's left, and and Brother Humes, and the Lord had a brother man here just to take right over. And the place, you know, isn't that wonderful how God will do things? He always has everything timed just right. I come up and I heard somebody preaching. I said, that don't, I believe Brother Caps, he come to Tucson. I think it bluffed him right quick at about 110 degrees. <laughs> he didn't want nothing to do with that. So away he went, him and Brother Humes, and went up to Phoenix. Of course, it's 115 to 16, 18 up there. That was still worse, so I think he took off to Texas after that. He was trying to find a place, but you don't want no Arizona this time of year. It's 140 the other day, last Friday, 140 degrees at Parker. And that's where Brother Craig from the church here lives. And you can break an egg and fry where it's the ground. <laughs> you, you spit it, it the moisture's gone. It just, there's no humidity or nothing. It's really a bake oven this time of year. But... From about November, December, January, wonderful. But when it comes about March, April, you, you better get away. <laughs> you don't want to suffocate. And uh, so, uh, Brother Capstan had to come just at that time, which I think run him out. So maybe the Lord did that for a purpose. I'm believing this that God orders the footsteps of the righteous. Amen. Sometimes it seems hard. Like the other day on this trip to Africa, I was so sure that I was moving in the will of God because a year ago I was down in the South holding a series of meetings and they, uh, they, I thought coming from that organization said, you can come on to the Christian businessman, but we'll have nothing to do with it. Well, I don't want to throw them man right in on, you know, make conflict. Uh, I want to make them feel good at one another. 
So I just said, well, wrote him a letter. I said, remember, I've tried to get into Africa for years. Again, feeling that my ministry isn't finished in Africa. I have no, why would I have to go to Africa when I've got six, seven hundred cities right here in the United States calling? See, just right here without leaving Canada and Mexico or any of those places. Why should I want to go there? But it's something in my heart that pulls me to Africa. There, those people, uh, there's something about them that I love. And uh, I want to go just for the colored people only. And there's something, and a lot of them leaders, they don't feel I should do that. I, I want to go to my colored friends. That's where the Lord comes. And I, they're needy. Many of those people, those white people, can have doctors and everything. That poor native live out there in half rot, and uh, I, I feel they're the ones that look like they receive it. They're the ones that something about it. When you get to a spot you're so smart that you know everything, then God can't do nothing with you. But if you get to a place that you're willing to listen and learn, then, then God's time can move in and talk to you. Amen. And so um, I wrote him a letter back and told him, and I said, remember, at the day of the judgment, let them bony hands reach out of smoke condemn you. Their blood be upon you, not only me, because I've tried for about ten years to get back. Then when I mailed the letter, come back, something said to me, see Sidney Jackson take a hunting trip. At the same time the Lord spoke to Sidney Jackson, said, yellow main line, Brother Branham camping, Durban, big meeting. Boy, he was over here. He spoke with you here. By the way, we baptized. He was firmly against this baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, and his wife was worse than he was. She would just walk away. You could, I'm telling you, I've never seen any more devout people. They've got about 150 ministers over there baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they're just burning the country up. <laughs> the message is just sweeping Africa everywhere. Aviators and great men coming, being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And um, so on. When I started to go over, I'm telling you, I never had so much trouble in all my life for trying to get there. And then at the very last minute, very last minute to go, here was wrote across my visa, cannot anticipate in any kind of religious service, can only come hunting. Well then, <laughs> it was rank. But I said, I don't care what the devil does, I, I can't. I can't vouch for what Brother Jackson said about yellow main line and this, that, or the other. I, I can't vouch but I do know God told me to see Sidney Jackson and go hunting. And I said, I'm going. And sometime, and I had one of the greatest trips, I found out what the trouble was. Now I think about October, the Lord willing, I go back and have a meeting and everything, full cooperation and everything else, see, in Africa. Now I got to the bottom of it and found out where it was at, what caused it. Up here, writing, this one's got this saying, something's got something saying, this and there. Best thing to do is go find out yourself. And I know where the trouble was and what the reason of it was. It was because of so many people gathering together. The government wouldn't let me have it. Now, if the Christian businessman or any organization which will bring us in, then the government automatically, because the organization is represented with the government, the government sends militia protection. If there be 25 men, out of one denomination, 25 out of another, still they won't receive that. It's got to be the, the head of this organization. And a Christian businessman is a non-sectarian uh, organization representing all the churches. Dr. Simon, their head over there, a very fine man. I got to meet him and talk with him. And they're taking the meetings and all the rest of the churches is coming in together. See? And I believe we'll have one of the greatest meetings that's been had. 
in, in Africa. But my point was this. When you know that you're, you're trying to do what's right, the first thing is if you feel led to do anything, then check it with the Word and see if it's right with the Word. And then let nothing stop you. Amen. I don't care how many wheels the devil throws in a way, just move right over the top of them. I told my wife, and I told Brother Woods when I got here, and some friends that I met yesterday, I have had about five years here that I hardly know what to do. It's been a, a nervous, uh, see, the revival itself amongst the churches has died. Everyone knows that. You feel it in this tabernacle. You feel it everywhere. There is a thump, dead feeling. There's just something isn't right. It's because the revival enthusiasm has gone away from the people. Going to the churches, you'll see them sitting there and a pastor stumbling around for a message and something or other, and the first thing you know, he turn it off on some kind of a party they're going to have or something. It seems to be a dead thump everywhere. Billy Graham notices it. Old Roberts. Mr. Allen had some trouble, as you know. Old Roberts got that $50 million uh, buildings and so forth in there. He's got a school. And, well, uh, nobody on the field now. I left here by a vision to go yonder to Tucson to see what the Lord wanted me to do. There he met me up there as he told you here that he would do it. And the farm of seven angels and said to return back and the seven seals is to be open. That's just exactly what happened. He said... One day with Brother Woods, when he came out there, we went to the same place and threw up a rock. He come down, he said, within a day and night, you're some, I forget just what the words was, you're going to see the glory of God. And the next day, a whirlwind came down out of the skies. And we know the story of what taking place. When it went up, they asked what it was. I said, it spoke three words and three great blasts. The man only heard the blasting. I understood what it said. And said, judgment striking West Coast. Two days after that, Alaska liked to sunk. Been thundering around, earthquakes, everything. Just look at them every day. Earthquakes just shaking everywhere. My last meeting, last meeting I had, this will be my first message really to preach since then. I was preaching in Los Angeles at the Belfort Auditorium. And I was speaking on a man choosing himself a wife. You probably got the tape of it. It's, I said it reflects his character and his ambitions. That when a man takes a woman, he takes a young girl and to be his wife, he takes a, uh, you know, a modern uh, girl that's a uh, common ricketta. It, it just shows what he's, if he marries a beauty queen or a sex queen, whatever it is, it shows is what's really in the man. But a Christian, he looks for character in a woman because he's planning a future home with that woman. He, plan, he gets a homemaker. And I said, then Christ, according to his word here, tells us what our future home will be. What kind of a wife will he choose then? A denominational prostitute? Never. 
He'll choose a woman that's characterized by his word. That'll be the bride. And while in there, something struck me. I didn't know it under about 30 minutes. There's a prophecy went out. First thing I remember, Brother Mosley and Billy, I was out on the street walking, and it said, Thou Capernaum, which calls yourself by the name of the angels, that's Los Angeles, city of angels, see, the angels, which are exalted into heaven, will be brought down into hell. For if the mighty works have been done in Sodom, it's been done in you, it would have been standing till this day. And that was all unconsciously, Jimmy. And how I just got to exalting Christ, exalting him, and telling the church, I said, you women, no matter how I try to come to you and preach against these things, you men, you preachers, you constantly come all the time, do it just the same. You walk over and if the word of God wasn't nothing. And when I understood that, I went, I said, there's a scripture about that somewhere. And I went and found it was Jesus rebuking Capernaum by the seacoast. That night, I looked up the scriptures, come home, got the history book. And Sodom and Gomorrah was once the, a thriving city, a Gentile headquarters of the world. And you know that city by an earthquake sank into the Dead Sea. And Jesus stood and said, Capernaum? If Sodom had had the works done in it that you've had done in you, it would have been standing today. But now, you must be brought down to hell. And about 200 or 300 years after his prophecy, with all them coastal towns, every one of them still standing, but Capernaum, and it lays in the bottom of the sea, an earthquake sunk it into the sea. And then prophesying, Los Angeles will be in the bottom of the sea. And I come home and went to Africa, and while I was in Africa, they had an earthquake. And scientists, you see it, it was on a broadcast, that some big fine homes tumbled in in Los Angeles and a motel and so forth. And now, there is a, since that earthquake, there's a two or three inch crack that come in the earth, starting in Alaska, goes around through the Aleutian Islands, comes out about 150 or 200 miles in the sea, comes back up at San Diego, takes in California or Los Angeles, and comes out again just below um, uh, the northern part of California, there, a little place called uh, San Jose, just below there. And this scientist was speaking, being on an interview, was watching on television, and um, he said beneath that is just a churning lava. And he said, uh, they, he said that is a chunk will break loose. And I said, and it will, and this inter, man, uh, scientist interviewing this chief scientist said to him, said, well, uh, that could then all sink. He said, could, it's got to. He said, well, of course, we probably be many, many years from now. He said, it can be in five minutes from now, or it can be in five years from now. He just lied five years. But just as I sure is standing there under that inspiration, but judgment on that west coast, then followed right up here with the sink in the Los Angeles, she's gone. Right. It will happen. Amen. And I don't know. But oh, what happened? You know, 
We already got six continents now. We had seven. That one had sunk between Africa and the United States. Oh, it's uh, historical. You know about it. Now, if that goes down, then I want you to watch when this was a sermon that I preached on when I believe Brother Lights Perry might have been deacon here in the church at that time for all I know. But it said the time will come. I didn't know it until Mrs. Simpson brought me the, the sermon the other day and it got wrote in a little book. That the desert, that the ocean shall weep its way into the desert. That was 30 years ago. And of course, the Salton Sea is about 200 feet below sea level. And if that big churning of earth swallowing in like that with hundreds of square miles, hundreds and hundreds of square miles, sinking into the earth, that'll throw a tidal wave from the Arizona. Sure it would. Oh, at the end time. Glorious hour. The appearing of the Lord Jesus said, There shall be earthquakes in diverse places, perplexed of time, distress between nations, man's heart failing in fear. That when these things begin to happen, raise up your head. Her redemption's drawing nigh. Oh, my. Nations are breaking. Israel's awakening. The signs that the prophets foretold. The Gentile days numbered with horrors encumbered. Return, O disperse to your own. Be sure to do that. That day of redemption is near. Man's hearts are failing for fear. Be filled with God's Spirit and have your lamps trimmed and clear. Look up, your redemption is near. That's right. False prophets are lying. God's truth they're denying that Jesus the Christ is our God. See the picture the other day? I turned that picture sideways there and the very picture of those seven angels being lifted up. Turn it to the right hand side and there's the face of the Lord Jesus looking down to the earth again. Remember when I preached the seven church ages? I couldn't understand why Jesus standing there with a white uh, over his head. He's a young man. I took it back in the Bible. It said he came to the ancient of days whose hair was white as wool. Jesus is only 33 and a half years old at his crucifixion. I called up Brother Jack Moore, a theologian. He said, oh, Brother Branham, that's Jesus in his glorified stage. That after his death, burial, and resurrection, he turned to that. That sounded all right for a theologian, but it didn't go good. It didn't hit the, something. I went up there and started on that first church age. There the Holy Spirit revealed it. Like you got it right on your church ages. I guess the books will be out pretty soon now, the full detail of it. And it showed that Jesus was judge. There's a white wig that he used to wear and put a wig on and wear as a judge. England still does it. When you got supreme authority, and that turning sideways in this picture, there he is, his black hair, he's sitting in the side of his beard and the white wig on. He is the last of the authority. He's supreme authority. Even God said so himself. This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. There he is with them angels, a message which was the seven breaking of them seven seals that revealed serpent seed and all these things here. And it shows that it is his very covering. It's it's his supreme authority. He is supreme. And he's wigged or, or covered. The Bible said that he changed his countenance or he changed himself. Immorphous. The word comes from the Greek word immorphous, which means a Greek actor that plays many parts. Today he's one thing, the next act he's something else. He was God the Father in one act, God the Son in another act, and he's God the Holy Ghost in this act. There he is, his word is still supreme. We're living in the last days. 
coming back from Africa the other day, I kind of tired. You see, it's just it's nighttime there now, and you have to turn around that time. We got to turn around, come back again. We had a wonderful trip, hunting trip, one of the best I ever had in my life. Then Billy's got some pictures. Maybe you have a timing short somewhere and show you the trip. I had a dream. I'm always dreaming of being back at public service company somehow. So I, I thought I was kind of ratting on the job. I suppose they just let me have my own way. <laughs> I thought I, instead of going out and walking the lines or collecting the bills or something I was supposed to do, I just said, well, my own boss, I just went swimming. <laughs> and I got down there and took off my, these clothes and put on my swimming clothes. I was by myself and I thought, say, this ain't right. The company, this is daytime. The company's paying me for this time. Oh, that's strange. And then I thought, well, the money I collected on the route, I had both the patrol and the route mixed together, and I said, well, the money I collected, I've done something roping around here, lost all the tickets. And I got their money and my money mixed together. Now, how do I know who paid the bill? I thought, just because it wasn't paying any attention. I thought, that's not right. There's only one thing for me to do. That's go back to my superintendent. And tell him that was Don Willis. I said, Don, I lost those tickets. Now, here's all the money I got. Here's their money together. Leave it here at the cashier. And the people, when they come in, they'll have a receipt that I received. There'll probably people sitting right here. And I, I, I know there is. That I collected from them in, in the days. And, I, and uh, I'd give them a receipt. You know, it's only 10% if you let your bill run over. And maybe a dollar and a half, be 15 cents over. A lot of them people, we just like to get together and talk, and they just let their bill go and come talk to them. <laughs> Give 15 cents, you know, just to sit down and talk for a little while to collect your bill. So the guy ranked, he just got so many bills, I couldn't collect them. Well, I thought that's the only way I could do it. And I woke up. The place where we live, Sister Larson, don't think she's here. She's been very nice to us, and she don't like me to say that, uh, but she's a very fine lady, and we've been living in her room. She's got two apartments, small apartments together. We ran them both. And wife and I sleep over here in, in the other apartment where I kind of receive the people when I can. And uh, there's a couple of little twin beds in there. I woke up. She wasn't awake yet. And after a while, she woke up and I waved over at her. She looked back, bad her eyes a few times. I said, you sleep good? She said, nope. And I said, I had off a stream. I was back at that public service company again. I said, what have I done? Now, I remember as a little boy or a young man, I... Walk all those lines, Salem, Indiana, different. I go in, buy a, a breakfast, maybe a bowl of oats, that hot sun and everything. It just make me sick to eat breakfast. I turn in ten cents on my petty cash. The superintendent come down and said, said, you know what they said in the, in the meeting? Who is that knothead that would turn in ten cents for breakfast? Said you ought to at least turn in fifty cents. Now oh, you know fifty cents is a big breakfast in them days. And I said, well, I don't eat that much. He said, well, the rest of them turns in fifty cents. You ought to turn in fifty cents. I said, well, I don't use it. I said, turn it in anyhow. That's my superintendent. Well, I thought, well, what can I do? I have charged 50 cents and I eat 10 cents. So I go out on the street and get some little kids that didn't have no breakfast and get them 40 cents worth of breakfast. <laughs> so then I thought, well, what could I... Maybe that's what he holds against me. Now, I remember here not long ago, they come through on the patrol, tore up that backyard back there and said, turn in your bill. You know, they got patrol rights, but they have to pay for damage. I just wrote back and said, don't owe nothing. I thought that'll pay for them 40 cents. Maybe I spent $20, $30 during that time giving it to kids. Maybe that would have kept on dreaming. Then I had a big tree out there the kids played under. And the patrol now, they patrolled a helicopter. And so he come in and said, Billy, how about cutting that tree? I said, no, don't cut it. We're going to trim it. I said, Brother Woods and I go trim it. He said, well, I'll just have the man come by and trim it. I said, no, don't cut it. He said, I won't cut it. 
I went off on a trip. When I come back, she's cut on the ground. Then I had a lawsuit coming, you see. I said, well, Lord, this will clear it up. I know. So I struck that off. That's all right. Just let it go. Well, I still dreamed it. When I got up the other morning, I said, well, first thing we do in the morning when we get up is pray together. Then pray when we go to bed at night. And then after she went on over to get Kitty's breakfast, I started to pray. I said, Lord, I must have been an awful guy. What have I done in life that I, I can't get away from that public service company? I went and took a bath, come back up. Something just seemed to say to me, maybe I'm ratting on his job. Oh, here's about five years, I ain't done nothing. Just waiting on him. Standing up there the other day, they built us a new home up there. Brother Mosley come down and talking about it. I said, that's just a little gift from my father. He started crying. I said, you see, he said, if you leave your homes, houses, lands, fathers, mothers, I'll give you houses, lands, fathers, mothers, and hundredfold in this life and eternal life to come. I said, see, I had to leave the tabernacle that I love so dear. My home that the Lord gave me up there, had to leave it. He just gave me this one back. I said, he's wonderful. And he started crying. Well, uh, I said, I had to come out here and separate myself, come to this desert. And I thought, wonder why God bring me to a desert. Out here where there's nothing but scorpions and gila monsters. Uh, it's not only a desert, is it hot, but it's spiritually a desert. Oh, my, there's no spiritual life at all. The churches are gets, well, have you ever seen such in your life? We don't even have a church to go to or nothing. And then when um, the people almost perish spiritually, I'm noticing the people that come out there, see the differences in them, watching it. And so you stay under the Spirit of God, your life becomes sweet, tender, like water brings this grass and soft buds. If this grass in Arizona wouldn't grow, these trees would be cactus. Them leaves just wind up and make stickery. That's the way it is when you get dry around the church, everybody's sticking one another, you know. You've got to have soft waters of rain soften you up, make leaves and shade for the pilgrim that passes by. And so, something said to me, maybe you're ratting on God's job. So I prayed for a vision. Immediately just got me a new Bible, and Brother uh, Brother Brown from up in Ohio got me a new Bible. Both of them at the same time at Christmas. I went and got one of the new Bibles. I said, Lord, in the days gone by, you had a year of my thunder. Now listen, let me say this. Of course, they're not. This is not taping. This meeting is I'm past standing. Let me say this. Don't do this. Not a good thing. But I said, Lord, used to be when a dreamer dreamed a dream. That they took it down to the Urim of Thundam and told it, and if the, if the Urim of Thundam flashed the lights back, a supernatural light, the dream was true. I said, but that priesthood and that Urim of Thundam is done away with. Your Bible is the Urim of Thundam now. Lord, may I never do this again. I've asked you and prayed to you to give me a vision. Speak to me about why am I dreaming these dreams. What have I done if I've harmed, if I've done anything to any person in the world? Let me know. I'll, I'll, I'll go make it right. If I owe the public service company, if I've done something wrong to them or any other person, if I've done something wrong to you, let me know. I, I want to make it right. Let's make it right now. Don't wait till after a while. Maybe too late. Let's do it now. And I said, surely there's something in this Word of God from Genesis to Revelations that some character in there that you dealt with would be on the same basis that would be my question. 
If somebody done something and, and you got at him about it, then let me turn to that place in the Bible. And if somebody, whatever they've done, it'll lean my way. What I've done wrong or something you want me to do or haven't done, let me see some character in the Bible I can close my eyes. Just let the Bible fall off and put my finger on a scripture. Genesis 24-7. Eliezer, Abraham's faithful servant, the model servant of the Bible, being sent to hunt the bride for Isaac. Chills run over me. Sure, that's, my, that's right with the rest of my message. Pulling out the bride, he said, Swear that you will not take a bride out of these. But go to my own people. He said, What if the woman won't come with me? He said, Then you're free of this old. He said, And the God of heaven will send his angel before you to direct you. He went right straight out and began praying, and he met the beautiful Rebecca that became the bride of Isaac. Just a perfect message back to the Word. Go get that bride. That's a duty. That's what I'm here for. That's what I'm trying to do is call out a bride. Remember California there, that interview of the bride preview I had here? How that bride come up first and seen her go by? Then here come Miss America, Miss Asia, and all the offers look naked. And the same bride passed by again. One of them got out of step. I was getting her back in step. Two of them it was. And that's what I was supposed to do. Keep that bride in step. Hunt that man. I said, God, I'm going back home. Renew my vows again and start out anew. So that's what we're planning on doing. That's what I'm here for. I think it'd be a good thing if we did this, started on the 18th, next week, next Sunday morning, next Sunday night, the following Sunday, and the following Sunday. How many think that'd be a good thing? Thank you. Now I want you to do something for me. If you've notified any people that there's going to be a meeting on the 28th, Will you re-notify them again that we couldn't do it? Tell, write them a letter or something that we don't want the people to come and be disappointed. But we could not get the auditorium. We couldn't get it. And so uh, uh, the calls, the last meeting, I think we had so many up there and everything, they just, you know how the public is. And they're, well, we're just living in the last days, that's all. And um, they claim that the people come in and disturb the school and they were there too early and they did this or that or something. And the place is too jammed up and the fire marshal does this and that. And, well, you know. So we will set up those piles and those trumpets. I want to place them in. I told you it would. They come under another thing. So does the vials come under selling the trumpets. But we want to take that entire course right straight through and bring it tied in together. How many's read any of Brother Vale on rewriting that and fixing it up and grammarizing it for me? Have you read any of it? Uh, yeah, two or three of it. I think you've done a real job, Brother Vale. Real job. You, I think Sister Vale did it, and you just uh, wrote it down and said, she was a... See, I'm not always against the women, am I, Sister Vale? <laughs> so now, let us, for the next 15, 20 minutes, read a scripture here. I, and uh, i got a little book here. I told her, I believe it was the Brother Vale, or who was it? Uh, I believe it's Roy Borders. Brother Vale bought me the book. I want to make a little textbook, but if anybody ever looked at what I call notes, like I want to preach about the morning star, I'll draw a star. And if I want to preach something, I make it all in symbols here, scratches. Nobody <laughs> ever know what it was. Well, I'm out, and I think of anything I got a, on a ride on the road. Sometimes a car jumping up and down, and I'll jot this down, say this and that, and make little signs and crossing bridges and and uh, all kinds of things like uh, I want to preach on the descending of the star and I'll put the pyramid draw it out here and put the 
by four-star David coming down on it. And I know where I'm going in the scriptures like that. Moses, certain thing he done, just make little turkey tracks like. I got several of them in here, and I thought uh, this morning back there when I thought I'd speak on this subject for a few minutes here on uh, a note, maybe take me 20 minutes, and then I ain't gonna take Brother Neville's service tonight. <laughs> Uh, uh, I'm going to rest tonight, listen to him, and then the Lord willing, next Sunday morning, we'll start the service. Now, y'all help me, and we'll pray. Because it's in my heart to try... They said, well, we could go to Louisville, or we could go down to New Albany. But the meeting was supposed to be for Jeffersonville. I'll go to Louisville New Albany at different times, but this is supposed to be here at Jeffersonville. Now, let's bow our heads just a minute while we've been... I've been talking to you here for about 30 minutes. Let's speak to him a moment. Lord Jesus, we are, we are certainly a blessed people above our thinking, above our understanding. For if there was a noble among us, uh, such as uh, some uh, personnel from some other country or diplomat of some sort, we'd think it was great to have such a noble person among us. But today... We have the God of heaven, not only among us, but in us, dwelling, living his life through us. And we're so thankful for this, Lord. It's beyond our understanding, of course. But now, speaking on what the services and going to Africa and the things that we tried to arrange for these few days here in the Indiana... And somehow or another, Lord, maybe you're driving us to that tent to make that vision fulfilled. So, thy will be done. We've committed this way the best of our understanding, so we pray, Lord, if there's anything contrary to your will, you'll make it known to us, that we might know to do your perfect will. Now bless us in these next few minutes. Speak to us through thy word, Lord, for thy word is truth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn in the Bible to Mark Day, chapter 10. Now, just a little short message here. I can speak to you about the Word that you're testifying about over there and so forth. Mark, the 8th chapter, and let's begin about the 34th verse to the 30th, taking the 30th rest of that chapter. I like to read what he said, because I know that's true. Now we, and when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man? If he gains the whole world and loses his own soul, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I want to take a little text from there, if it be called that, called Ashamed. You know, I like that. Whosoever is ashamed of me and of my words, I'll be ashamed of him. 
Now, the word ashamed could be also translated embarrassed. You know, something that you're, uh, you're faced with something that you're embarrassed about. Being ashamed. That, uh, another thing, being ashamed does shows that you are not sure of what you're talking about. If you know what you're talking about, and have the assurance that you know what you're talking about, you can tell anybody that. You're not ashamed. But if you feel put out, out of place, it shows you're not sure. You notice, there's so much of that today, especially on the subject that I'm speaking of, ashamed of the Word. Now, He and the Word are the same. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The same yesterday, today, and forever. So, whosoever is ashamed of me and my Word, and he and his Word are one, so being ashamed of his Word. In this sinful present generation, I'll be ashamed of him. Now, we notice today, if somebody says, uh, are you a Christian? It's very much a popular thing. Say, oh, I'm a Christian. But do you believe the Word of God? Word said, these signs shall follow them who believe it. Oh, even ministers' faces a blush. Are you ashamed of, say, of divine healing? Are you ashamed of the full gospel? Are you ashamed of your Pentecostal experience? That's being ashamed of His Word. That's His Word made flesh in you. So His Word has to live itself out for every generation. It lived itself out in the days of Moses. Because in that day, the Bible said in Hebrews, first chapter, God in sundry times and divers matters spake to the fathers by the prophets. And those prophets, the church got also twisted up. That when those prophets, those daring messengers of God, come without church, without denomination, without organization, without anything, the five kings, kingdoms, churches, and everything. When the priest was brought before they was brought before the priest, they wasn't ashamed because they had directly thus saith the Lord. If you notice, the prophet, in one sense of the word in the Old Testament, when he said, Thus saith the Lord, now watch him, he goes right into the phrase of taking the place of God. Amen. You notice, when he placed out before him, Thus saith the Lord, he fell right into God. Amen. And he acted as God. Amen. Then he gave his message, which was God speaking through him. Amen. Thus saith the Lord. Hallelujah. I think... Of the prophets of old when they come with that message. And it embarrassed the kings. And it uh, made the people feel uncomfortable, the priests even. They would feel uncomfortable because they were supposed to be leaders, religious men. And when they, the word came forth in that manner, it exposed them. And they felt embarrassed or ashamed. And many times we see that, not many, too often today. That man, you say, I am a Christian. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Oh, uh, see, they're embarrassed about it. 
Somebody say, do you belong to that group up there that does all that there, shouting and all that divine healing stuff? Many times Christians back up. They want to announce that if they got a denomination, I'm Baptist, I'm Presbyterian, I'm Lutheran. They're not ashamed of that. But when it comes to being a Christian that can take God's Word just the way it is, then they're, they're, they're ashamed. I don't belong to any denomination. They're, they're ashamed to say that. They've got to be like the rest of the world, represented by some organization. Now that's just recently come into that. In the days of Luther, to recognize yourself as a Luther and a follower of Luther, well, it almost meant death by the Catholic Church. In the days of Wesley, to know that you had defied the Anglican Church, it was almost a penalty of death by the Anglicans to announce that you were a Methodist. In the days of Pentecost, it was a shame almost to say that, that, you, was, uh, that you was a Pentecostal because you was quickly carried a holy roar or some tongue speaker or something like that. Now they organized and went right in with the rest of the group. Now when the calling out time comes, that you don't belong to any of it. Very popular Sam Pentecost. Very popular Sam Presbyterian Luther. But what comes to the time that you have to come out and stand for the word? Amen. I don't belong to any of it. <laughs> that that uh, embarrassed. Jesus said, now if you're ashamed of me, then I'll be ashamed of you. Why would he be ashamed of you? Because you're claiming to be his when you won't follow him. What if I said, uh, uh, this little boy, he's, he's my son. He turned out and said, who, baby, your son? What do you think I am? It would embarrass me, would you, your son? And that's the way that so-called Christianity today, if you name it a name of a denomination, all right. They accept the fatherhood of a denomination, but when it comes to accepting the fatherhood of the Word of God, Christ, no, they're embarrassed. They don't want to say, yes, I have spoken tongues. Yes, I have seen visions. Yes, I believe in divine healing. Yes, I praise the Lord. I'm free from all organization. I'm not bound down by any of that. I'm a servant of Christ. Oh, my. That just turned to pieces. The other night, a great speaker coming amongst the full gospel businessman in Chicago. May I stop here just a minute to say this? You excuse me? But many times you think, and I do too, that what we're talking about, the truth of the Bible, don't go over amongst the people. But it does. Sometimes they'll rear right up against it, but they really don't mean it. They're trying to find where you're standing. As the story was about a bunch of drunks arguing that there was no such thing as Christianity. One man said, I know where there's one at, that's my wife. Well, I don't believe it. Say, come on, with let's all act like we're really drunk. Went up there at the house and done everything they could and, and told them to cook them some eggs and then he threw them out on the floor and said, you know better to cook my eggs like that. Carrying on in the house and they went over in the other room fell down a chair. They heard somebody out there sweeping it up not saying a word, saying, saying a little song to herself. Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? There's a cross for everyone, and there's a cross for me, and this consecrated cross I'll bear till death shall set me free, and then go home a crown to wear. And one old drunk said, what I tell you, that she's a Christian. See, there's only trying And sometimes the world, our family, try you. So, I never thought this would happen. But last Saturday night, I believe it was, or Sunday night, 
They're a great speaker. I don't know subject calling people's names, but he's trying, working exactly contrary. I'm trying to keep them churches out of that ecumenical move. And this man's trying to put them in there. So he's speaking for the Christian businessman, which I supposed to have had the meeting in Chicago, and I thought of being in Africa at that time, so I couldn't take it. This man said, got up there and said, the greatest move, the greatest thing that the earth now has ever been. All the churches are returning back to the Catholic Church to the ecumenical move, and the Catholics will receive the Holy Ghost. What a trap of the devil. Amen. And this leader, Brother Shakarian, uh, president of the international businessman, stood up and said, after the man stood out and said, that's not the way we've heard it. The Brother Bram has told us that this ecumenical move will move them all to the mark of the beast. <laughs> and the man sat on the platform. That he'll move it to the mark of the beast. And said, we're inclined to believe what he says is the truth. Amen. Amen. He said, how many of you would like to hear Brother Bram come and give you the true side of it? Raise it? And it's 5,000 something people. They screamed and cried. This has come for one day. One day. Brother Carl Williams called me up and said, Brother Bram, before I went out through that crowd, so they had piles of $100 bills laying in my hands to get your airplane ticket up here and back. See? Just for one day. See, those people, that word is sinking in where sometimes we don't know it. See? But see, when you're really, no matter how much the world is against it, how much the denominations are against it, God's proven it to be the truth. Amen. The great hour finally strikes. Things like that maybe we didn't think about. Yes, it shows you're not sure if you're embarrassed. So you would rather not discuss the subject if you're going to be ashamed of it. You wouldn't want to discuss it. Hold back. But how can a man who's filled with the Holy Ghost, how can a man full of the power of God, the love of God in his heart, talk to a man a few minutes and not mention something about that love that's in his heart? There's something that it, it happens. You can't do it. This is a, must be that evil day that Jesus is speaking of. People are ashamed of the Word and of the Spirit of God that acts within them. But when the truth is made plain to the people... God then Himself revealing Himself through the Word. Now, any man can make any kind of claims, and we've had it in these days where there's been so many claims, claimed that it's been horrible. But you see, if there is a truth, it must be by the Word. Because they say that all kinds of things of oil pouring through people and blood out of their hands and women on their backs with blood and running down their shoes and raise up their shoes and pour oil out and frogs jumping out and hopping down the platform and all kinds of things like that. There's no such stuff as that in the Bible. There's no promise of anything like that in the Bible. Only said in the last days the Spirit would be so close to deceive the elected if possible. But there's no scripture for that. But when it comes to genuine and unadulterated Word of God confirmed by God, it seems to even embarrass the other group on the radical side. There's an embarrassment about it. But it's a reality to a man or woman, boy or girl, who really is a genuine Christian. When God made a promise of the baptism of the Holy Ghost and you receive it, there's something that settles within you that there's nothing takes its place. When a man ever meets God, not in some emotional workup, 
some enthusiasm or some religious doctrine, some catechism or creed or a dogma that he has accepted for a, a comfort for himself. But when he really comes to the place like Moses did, Amen. on the backside of the desert, walk up face to face with Almighty God. Amen. And you see the voice speaking to you exactly with the word and the promise of the hour. Amen. There's something it does to you. You're not ashamed of it. It does something to you. Now, let us look now for just the next 15 minutes to some people that received such an experience. And as I speak to you today, not as a church or as a denomination, I speak to you as an individual. Amen. Not because you come here to this tabernacle, because that I love you and you love me, not because of that. Let me speak to you as a dying mortal. Amen. That someday you've got to come to the end of this life. Amen. Now, I may not be there. And the, another preacher might not be there. But there's only one who can meet you there, and that's God. Amen. And you, you listen to it, and not whether my wife is a good Christian or, or my husband's a good Christian, but am I right with God? Have Amen. I met God like that? Amen. Not because my pastor met God, or of course... My deacon met God, but have I met him? Not because I shouted, not because I spoke in tongues, but because I met him as a person. Amen. Then you'll never be ashamed of that. Just something that's so perfect and pure and true. And remember, you might meet a spirit that would act like God. You might meet a spirit that would do this, that, or the other. Follow it a little bit and see how it compares with the Word of God. Amen. You might meet a spirit that would tell you you're saved and give you the glorious feeling and you shout and scream there when it comes to denying the Word. How tell the Holy Spirit and hope the Word denies the Word. That spirit must punctuate every promise of God with any man. If it isn't, then you never met God. You met a deceiving spirit and the world's full of it today. But when you see... God, come down and make a statement that he's going to do a certain thing that comes back and does that time after time after time. Then you've got a genuine spirit. Amen. 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 How could a spirit be on a man? The Holy Spirit that wrote the Bible and turned around and now that's not right. That was for some other day. He said the promises unto you and to your children to them it's for all. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. That was Acts 2.38. How can a spirit then accept anything different from that and be of God? When Hebrews 13.8 said, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and forever. Well, somebody said, oh, maybe he was a philosopher. He was a good man. He was a prophet. But as far as his power, I was speaking the other night, George Smith, the boy that goes with my daughter, Rebecca, fine kid, Sang in the tabernacle, a Baptist boy that's just told, take my name off of that thing. I want nothing to do with it. And there's a young lady that's having a conference, a certain Baptist church up in the hills, and, and they're so friendly against me, all of them out there. And about the, not, they're not got nothing against me, it's against this word. Amen. Me as a man, they can't say against me, I've never done them any harm, but that's what they're afraid of. Amen. Amen. 
Now, we were just having this meeting up there, rather, and they had us going to have a missionary to take the last three nights of this great conference up in the hills where it's cool. That be this missionary got up and come on to March 16. And he said, there's many people today who can't believe in divine healing. He said, I was in India. I'm an Indian. And I was in India when a man here in the United States by the name of Brother Brown come. <laughs> the pastor to get him move over. He said, my wife was dying with cancer. I was blind or something like that. He prayed. For one of us and the other, and he called out the audience, not even knowing our own language. And spoke the power of God and said, We're here healed. Oh, well, they tried to show up. They couldn't do it. No. That's our seat. Right in their own conference. And they even denied of anything. And some of the people, even my uh, this boy's sister, that on the ground, wouldn't even have nothing to say. And they won't know if she wasn't connected. Some way they could get down to find out. One uh, lady said, Well, I believe it. <laughs> Rebecca and George went to see this lady. She went and got a girl that was suffering with a, a kind of retarded a little. So they had me come over there to see the girl the other night. And I went over there, the little lady sitting there. I said, Are you a believer? She said, No, I don't know whether I am or not. Well, she wasn't retarded. It's just a devil spirit. They don't realize it. See, it takes you, and you don't know it. It comes in, violence overcomes the person, and they don't know it. Women that walk out on the street with these shorts on, they don't realize. They might be, they can might prove and swear to it that they've never uh, done anything evil against their husband or so forth like that. But in their heart, they don't realize, but the spirit of the devil has tucked them over. They're possessed. And what would a woman want to strip her clothes out off before a man? There's only one person done in the Bible. They were insane. Others try to cover themselves. They don't realize it's so cunning, so subtle. You have to watch, weigh yourself with the Word of God and see where you're standing. This young lady said, oh, they told me that I was baptized when I was a kid. said, I don't know whether to believe that's Seth or not. I said, don't you believe Jesus Christ? And she said, well, I don't know whether to do it or not. She said, some of that hocus-pocus stuff, they don't believe it. I said, well, of course you don't believe hocus pocus stuff. I said, but do you believe that he was the son of God? Oh, I said he could have been. I said, and I said, do you believe he's the same today, the God that would save you? She said, is there any other stuff about that? There oh, miracles and stuff like that. I don't believe nothing about it. And I said, um, what would you do if you were sitting in a meeting and seen God, the Holy Spirit, which is the only God there is, Working amongst the people, God in the fatherhood, the pillar of fire, the prophets, God in his son, and God in his people. It's just attributes of God. One great God covers eternity. I said, what would you see if he, among his people, uh, made the, the blind to see, the deaf to hear, look out upon the audience and tell the people what was wrong with them, and like he did when he showed her, she said, I believe it would be horoscope. I said, you are in a worse shape than I thought you were. You'd be better off if you was crazy. See? You wouldn't be accountable. But I said, 
You're just possessed of an evil spirit. I said, when Jesus told the woman at the well about her husbands, when he looked upon the people and perceived their thoughts, would you call that horoscope? See, just so wrapped up in a denomination called Luther that anything contrary to that would be wrong. Now, God wants man who's wrapped up in the Word. Anything contrary to that's wrong. Jesus said, Let every man's word be a lie, and mine be the truth. There was a man of a very scientific age by the name of Noah. He wasn't ashamed of God's word. God met him, and he talked to him, and he knew it was God. And he said, It's going to rain, and never had rain. But he believed it was going to rain. And the faith that he had, he wasn't ashamed to exercise it. He took 120 years to build an ark when the world was against him. He wasn't ashamed of God's word. In his day, God saved him and his household for it. There was a, a how foolish it might have seemed to be to other people. But to him, he met God. No matter how scientific the other was, was contrary, how I said it couldn't happen, it couldn't happen, he met God. Amen. That's what it is. When you know that you're talking to him, you think it was a foolish thing. When somebody, when I know that there's a few people in the world holds on to what I say to be the truth. Yes, sir. To stand here and say, Thus saith the Lord, I'm going to Arizona. There are only seven angels in a cluster. Well, there was a group of men standing there to see it happen. The other night, saying it, Los Angeles would fall into the ocean. But when you have met God, and the God who doesn't fail, the God who does exactly what he said he would do, he's always done it. You're not ashamed of it then. You don't have to walk back and be embarrassed about it. You tell the whole world. When a man meets God, talks to him, and the reality of God becomes his in his heart, he's not ashamed of it. Noah wasn't ashamed. It seemed foolish to the rest of the world, but not to him. Moses, when he's before Pharaoh, he wasn't ashamed to tell Pharaoh that these certain things would happen because he had met God. God told him in the burning bush. Yes. Moses said, I, I stutter. That's what he had in the impediment of speech. He said, there comes Aaron. You be God to him and he'll be prophet to you. I know he can speak well. But I'll be with your mouth. Who made man to speak? Hey, man, all that. That's God. Who made man to be deaf or dumb or who made man to speak? God has. He said, Lord, show me your glory. He said, what's that in your hand? He says, it's a stick. that tore on the ground. He turned to a servant and said, Take it up again and turn back to the stake. Yeah. Amen. He's God. Put your hand in your bosom. He put it in, pulled it out. White with leper says it. Put it back and pull it again. It was back to the other hand. Yeah. I'm God. Yeah. Then he walked up before Pharaoh and said, What he said he'd say. He said, It's going to be thus and thus. Picked up sand and threw it up in the air and said, Thus saith the Lord. Let fleas come up on the earth. And the fleas came. Up water poured out into the river and said, Thus saith the Lord, and the whole rivers and everything turned to blood. Yeah. Called hail down to heaven. You know the last 
last days are supposed to be them plagues to repeat again. Yes, yes, remember, an adulterer in the Bible time, his penalty was death by stoning. Yes. The unbelieving church will be stoned death. Well, hailstones is once God's way of punishment. He'll stone this unbelieving world as adulterer in his generation. He'll stone it from heaven with hailstones. Weighing a talent of peace, which is a hundred pounds. The adulterous church will die. Adulterous world will die under the punishment of God under stone like he did in the beginning. Get right with God, church. That's what we all must do. Turn back to God. That old fuzzy-faced, gray-headed, whiskers, bald-headed, skinny-arm, 80-year-old Elijah. Sitting up there in the wilderness looking out upon the sins of the people. God spoke to him one morning and said, Go down there and tell the head that not even a duel fall from heaven do you call for it. Amen. I can see his little eyes looking out from under that fuzzy looking white beard that's sticking his hands walking down the road like a 16 year old boy. Walked right up in the presence of the king and said, Not even a duel come from heaven do I call for it. He wasn't ashamed of God or his word. Tell a king or anybody else. You wasn't ashamed in half the high side. Hey, have, you be a what's in the mind of something like ourselves? Hey, I said to the people, I'm getting to a spot. I need more faith. Or I'm home part now. I get a, a new burst of faith. Got so old, it looked like when you pray for people, you apologize. Mr. Devil, would you please move over? Let me. Nothing. Face. Got muscles and hair on his chest. Amen. When it speaks, everything else shuts up. Amen. Don't boy, Mr. W. Move out. Get out of here, Rex. Son of God, commission of God. Amen. Leave him alone. That moves. You have no apology to the devil. Nothing to do with him. No. Not ashamed of the word of God. Not ashamed of the commission. Not ashamed of who we are. The only ashamed that I am is I'm a Branham. That's my earthly birth. I'm ashamed of my failures. But as his servant, I'm not ashamed. Amen. I'm not ashamed of his word. Or denominations, kings, potentates, whatever it might be. It's ready to give an answer. God calls for him. Moses walked up before Pharaoh. He wasn't ashamed to tell him that they would not compromise. And take his so many days out of the wilderness. He said, some of the women stayed back in the church and said, we'll all go. Not even one house will be left behind. We'll take our cattle and all. He wasn't ashamed. Why? He had come into the light of deliverance. That's the reason a man or a woman sick or anything once comes into the presence of God and knows that God's healed them. You're stepping into the light of deliverance. Don't compromise on anything. Deliverance is in his heart. For he had met the God who said, I am the God of Abraham, whom give Abraham the promise and the time of redemption of deliverance is at hand. I'm sending you down there to take him out. What's to apologize about that? Pharaoh could have killed him. He's just a man. He was a slave. He could have killed him. But he wasn't ashamed of the word. He didn't come down and get on his knees and beg the Pharaoh for nothing. He said, I'll come to take him. Pharaoh said, well, you can't take him. He said, all right. Then there'll be fleas upon the earth and you'll wade through them. And there's what happened. 
So Moses take him away. All right, now do you repent? Said, well, you can go so many days in the wilderness. He said, then flies will come. Amen. Said, darkness will come. It's so dark you couldn't see one from the place to the other. And finally, death come. From Pharaoh to the servant, it was death for the oldest child in the family. Didn't have no apology to nobody. He was a son of Abraham, born in the Spirit of God, given commission by God, the message of God, to go down and take those people out. Well, can't God call the same thing in this hour to take out of the church of God? Amen. Daniel wasn't, a, or David rather, wasn't afraid before Saul. But everybody was afraid of Goliath out there. He wasn't afraid to walk up and said, Your servant, this little scrawny looking fellow, said, Your servant was hurting his father's sheep. And a bear come in and got one of them. I chased him out the wilderness and killed him with this slingshot. A lion come in. Oh, my. A lion. Come in and got one of them around the wilderness. I knocked him down with a slingshot when he got up. I killed him. He said, The God that backslidden kings that are them wishy-washy soldiers came in the serve the God of heaven and let that uncircumcised Philistine stand out there and defy the armies of the living God. Said, your servant also will slay him for the God who delivered the lion and the bear of me will also deliver that uncircumcised Philistine. Amen. He didn't stutter. He didn't say, perhaps it'll be done. He said, it'll be done. He wasn't ashamed. Daniel, before the king, wasn't afraid to defy his orders, and nobody would pray only to him. He opened up the windows and threw up the sash and prayed three times a day. He wasn't afraid. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wasn't afraid of that part for us. No. Amen. That our God was able to deliver us. God can deliver us. But if he don't, we're not bound down to your image. Amen. They wasn't ashamed of it. No, sir. No, sir, they certainly wasn't ashamed of it because they knew. Samson wasn't ashamed before the Philistines. When a thousand right up to they picked up the jawbone of a mule and that helmet's about an inch and a half thick of brass. He beat a thousand down with it and still had the jawbone in his hand. He wasn't embarrassed. He just picked up what was in his hands and went to work with it. He knew that the Spirit of God was upon him. He knew he was born in the Nazarite. He knew that nothing could bother him. He was a servant of God as long as he's in us. Will of God, nothing could stand in his way. No matter how many kings or Philistines or whatever more come up. Right? John wasn't ashamed of the word of God that came to him in the wilderness and told him to go baptize the water. He wasn't ashamed to say, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. For the Spirit of God was upon him. He wasn't ashamed before the priest. He wasn't ashamed of the word of God when he walked up to Herod. Philip's wife was living with Herod. Walked right up in the face of the king, this old woolly face, fell out of the wilderness there, come out of there with no education or nothing else, walked right up in the face of Herod and said, it's not lawful for you to have her. He wasn't ashamed of God's word. Sure. Absolutely was not ashamed of it. Stephen's. He wasn't ashamed of God's word. First, the Pentecostal people. Out there on the day of Pentecost, when they gathered in the upper room, the Holy Ghost fell upon them by a promise of God. 
2449 said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but wait in the city of Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. And the very promise that the Word of God promised him, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but wait there. Don't get no more theology or educations and so forth. Wait till you're in doom with power. And when that power from heaven came like a rushing mighty wind, they wasn't ashamed of the gospel. Peter stood up and said, Repent, every one of you, man, with wicked hands, you've crucified the Prince of Peace, which God has raised from the dead. And we're a witness. For this is what Joel said would come to pass in the last days. I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. It was ashamed of the gospel. Little Stevens, as I mentioned him a few minutes ago, when he went through there like a, oh, a tornado. He wasn't a preacher, just a deacon. But he testified everywhere of the resurrection. He had met God. And it's just like trying to stop him. It's like trying to put a, a house, a burning house, a fire out of it. Over a windy day and a dry time. Why, every time the wind blew, it just set another fire. They jerked him up before the Sanhedrin Council. Can you realize what that is? That's it, like the Ecumenical Council. All religions head up there in the Ecumenical Council. All of them head up there in the Sanhedrin Council. Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, whatever they were, they had to come into that council. And they snatched him up, just not one organization, but the big council snatched him up. We'll scare the liver out of him. When he walked up that morning, the Bible said his face looked like an angel. Glory. <laughs> he said, Mary, brethren, let me speak to you. Our fathers dwelt in Macedonia before they came to charge, so forth. He'd go and give the scriptures then. When he got all wound up, the spirit come upon him. He said, you stiff necks uncircumcised the heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Ghost like your fathers did. So do you. But the shame of the gospel. Well, the shame of the word. He wasn't embarrassed before any Sanhedrin council. No. Paul said, before Agrippa, being a Jew, called under Demelia, a great dignitary he was. But one day on the road down to Damascus, he come in presence, contact with God. An angel came down from heaven in the form of a pillar of fire light and struck him on the ground. Raised him and said, Lord, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus. Then before Agrippa, he repeated the story again. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God and the salvation that everyone that believes. Sure. Now, friends, we come on down with man down through the age, but we're past time. Let me say this. A man who has once come in contact with God, which is the Word, and the Word has been made plain and manifested to him. There's no shame us about that. Amen. You're not embarrassed. doesn't embarrass me to say I believe every word of God. Amen. doesn't embarrass me when the Lord says to say anything, you go say it and do it. Don't embarrass me to say that I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. Don't embarrass me to say that I've spoke with other tongues. Amen. Don't embarrass me to say that the Lord has shown me visions. Don't embarrass me to say He's the same yesterday and forever. When you're brought before rulers and kings for my name's sake, take no thought what you shall say. For it will be given to you in that hour. It's not you that speaketh, but my Father that dwelleth in you. But whosoever is ashamed of me and my word in this generation, him will I be ashamed of before my Father and the holy angels. God help us not to be ashamed. 
but help us to be living testimony. Amen. Amen. Yes. Every man, in the Old Testament, when the prophets came, they become they become the living word. They was the word. Jesus said they were called gods, and they were. Because the word of God came to them, they say, it's thus saith the Lord. And any disciple of Christ who has come in contact with him in redemption and salvation has come into his heart, he is a possessor of God. And what kind of a life should we live, and how should we walk, and how should we talk? If God is representing himself through our own mortal bodies. Who could be ashamed of that? Amen. I come to a place that I was on the police force here in Jeffersonville. Walk down the street from all the authorities. I wouldn't be ashamed of the city. I'd be part of the city. I'd be a police. A part of the city to keep order and conduct. If a man run a red light, I wouldn't be ashamed to tell you that wrong. Give him a ticket. That's my duty. Because I'm, I'm getting paid by the city. I'm living by the city. I have the authority from the city. No matter if he's drunk or what's matter, they wouldn't let back me up. I stand my grounds because I'm a policeman and I'm ordained or put in here and given authority to do this. You're supposed to take law and rights and things and see this done right. And if I'm a Christian, and then filled with the Spirit, weighing the testimony of Jesus Christ's resurrection, that he's the same yesterday and every day, don't let any of them try to push you around, say you don't do this and you don't do that. You do to it. God Amen. give you the see we don't have power. That policeman don't have power to stop one car. It's about sometimes it's three or four hundred horsepower motor. What could he do about it? But he's got authority. That's the church we have authority by the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his promised word. Hallelujah. The things that I do shall you do also. More than this will you do for I go unto the Father. Don't be ashamed of in this generation. Sinful, perplexed, the last generation will ever be on the earth. This sinful adulterness is full of all putrefied sores. All everything has been decent has become indecent. National politics built. Nations are broke up. Way back in the jungles of Africa. Oh. Safari hunters. They had to take high power radios to hear Elvis Presley. Pat Boone. Then God's that rock and roll and twist. And the natives trying to see them act on jerking their head. Act like that. The natives still look at it. But you see, they're not Americans like Pat Boone and Elvis Presley and Ricky Nelson and them guys are. They're not Judases of that type. But they see it's a spirit. And the Spirit is not only in America, it spreads itself out over the world. Or bring them to the battle of Armageddon. They act like that. Whether they are, whatever nation they come from, Africa, India, whatever it is, that vulgar and stuff that's spread all over the earth. But just one man started. So has the gospel. The power already God has spread out the world. The separation time is now taking place when God's are calling a bride and the devil's calling a church. That may be part of the bride. Let us pray. Dear God, we see the handwriting on the wall. We're at the end time. 
We know that there's great things laying ahead. But yet somewhere, somewhere out in this mess out here is still honest people that's been ordained to life. It would be impossible for one man or two men, but God, all of us together, let us spread every corner we can the good news that Jesus is coming. And see, just spread a little bread along, a little word. Wherever the eagles are, they'll follow that food. Whether it comes by tape or whether it comes by a word or a testimony, eagles will follow it to its headquarters. Or it is written, where the carcasses, there the eagles will gather. Dear Jesus, we know that thou art the carcass that we eat. Thou art the Word. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We pray, God, that as we scatter the Word, that the true eagles will find it. Let us not be ashamed when we stand before people, wicked, indifferent people, religious, whatever it is. As Paul told Timothy, let's be instant in season and out of season. Reprove and rebuking with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they'll not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap for themselves together teachers having itching ears and will be turned from the truth to faith. God, we're living in that day. You've let me live long enough to see that happen. As that lays right here in the cornerstone of this tabernacle today, from 33 years ago. God bless each one in here. If there be one in here, Lord, that's not ready to meet you. That they cannot just agree with your word and they haven't met you face to face and know that you not just by an act of some sort of a of a, of an exception like you would a creed or something, but has met the living God. And if they haven't did this, Lord, may they do it right now. I believe you're you're real near at this hour. I don't know who they are. I don't know even if there's any here, but I just feel led to pray to you. Not that the people hear me, or that would be a hypocrite right. God far be it. I don't want to be a hypocrite. But I'll pray it with a sincerity in my heart. Whoever he or she is that you speak to this morning, may they humbly not be ashamed but way down deep in their heart, receive you now. Coming this evening and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, following every word, every word. If they've been baptized different or sprinkled forward, remember, we do, Lord, that you said, whosoever shall take one word out of the book, add one word to it, his part will be taken from the book of life. Though he tries, comes, puts his name on the book, it, it won't work. Let us be sincere and humble. Now they're in your hands, Lord. You do with them as you see fit. For they're yours. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now while we have our heads bowed, I want you to think real seriously now. I apologize first for being about 15 minutes late. Now we want to hum. You just think in your heart now, have I really met God? Just think it real sincerely now. Because it won't be too many times, maybe until, maybe the last time now, that we'll meet before he's coming. It's close, friends. Every scripture looks like it's just about full And it might be for your eye. 
This might be our last chance. We may be gone for night. I'll go with him, with him, all the way. I can't hear. Are you ashamed of me and of my word? Savior. I just imagine you're laying on your deathbed now. Can you then might be too late, but it isn't right now. Take thy cross. Might have to sacrifice now. Not in your heart, answer this. I'll go with him through the garden. I'll go with him through the garden. I'll go with him through the Just raise your hands and say, I'll go with him through the judgment. That's what's going on right now. He's judging us. Lord, do you find me guilty? Then forgive me through his judgment. What do you judge me to be this morning, Lord? With him through the Try me, Lord. See if there be any unclean thing in me. With him. With him. Father, we thank you this morning for all these hands. I didn't see one person but what they had their hands up. I thank you, Lord. I, I trust you that neither, Lord. No one that didn't have their hands up. They're ready to go through the judgment. Judge us, Lord. And if there be any wrong in us, forgive us, Lord, Father. Give us of your mercy. For we don't want to meet your judgment when mercy is not present. So mercy is present now. So we pray, God, that you'll judge us and forgive us of our sins according to your word and your promise. And let us live for you all the days of our life, not being ashamed of the gospel. Now, Father, if it's your will... We're starting three straight Sundays now of meetings. Prepare our hearts for it, Lord. Prepare me, O God. I'm the one that's standing so deeply in need of you. I pray that you'll guide me and direct me in the things that I should do and say in these days to come. God, and direct our precious brother Neville, that gallant servant of yours, Lord. And also, Brother Mann, and the deacons of the church, and the trustees, and every person that assembles here, prepare us, Lord, that we might be able, in a, a real Christian way, to bring sinners uh, to you, and to bring church members to a knowing the God that we know, that we have met personally. Let him become their God, too. Now, Father... 
This we cannot do. We cannot send them in. But thou, Holy Spirit, move upon the people, the members of churches. As the little experience I had with the other morning, go get my son a bride. Take it from among the people, among the churches. Pull out that bride. Let me, in prayer now, Lord, you send the Rebecca. I'll try to be the Eliezer. Help me to be a faithful servant, and may the God of heaven send his angel before me, for us, that we'll collect the things together and select the bride that you has chosen. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm sorry you've kept me a little late. 25 after, I should have been out here 25 minutes ago. But now, you like that old song? Take the name of Jesus with you. Isn't that pretty? I sing that now for some 33 years as a dismissed song. Water baptism on Jordan, stormy banks I stand. I think this is a pretty. Just take it everywhere you go. Precious name. Jesus. 
He came in my Father's name. You receive me not. Now, his bride will have his name, of course. Amen. I took a woman by the name of Roy, and she became a Branham. He's coming for a bride. Be sure to remember that as you come to the pool. Let us bow our heads now. Brother Vail here is no stranger to us. He's a very precious brother. Been with me many meetings, him and his wife. And he's also now the writer of these sermons and things that goes into book form. Brother Vail, would you dismiss us in prayer while we bow our heads?
I wish I had all my brethren in Africa here today. Of all the denominations, that we should just get together and talk all evening. And I would like to hear what the Lord's been doing over here for you. I would like to tell you what he's doing for us across the sea. Maybe he'll permit that someday. Until that day, I'll be praying for you. And you'll be praying for me. God bless you.